first and last verses and in a chorus. Page number 16, How Great Thou Art. Let our ushers come forward to receive her offering, and you give tonight, and the Lord bless you for being faithful in your giving. Father, bless now the giving of your children, and we do thank you that you're a great God. We open our hearts up to what you want to do for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
I want you to do something. I want you to get you a songbook, turn on page 401. Ladies started playing that, and I just started hearing all those words in that song and thinking about sitting at the feet of Jesus. And now I'm not going to ask you to stand. The choir is going to have to work up here, but I want us all just to turn over and let's just sing a couple of verses of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Page 401.
There will be no dying, no more trouble or strife. We will live through the ages by that beautiful tree of life. When some glad tomorrow, with the strength I'll stand, we'll put on a crown and walk around our love of God's promised land.
we're going to do it again. I'm going to tell you why. If you listen to the words of these songs, first time I heard it, of course, this, this whole book is tremendous as far as ministry to me. And when something ministers to me, I try to give it to the choir and hoping they're able to be ministered to and then turn around and minister to you. There's a lot of times I was going through some things and I'm my world's worst enemy. I'm too hard on myself at times. And I judge things and think of things around me as far as with my own life. And I'm thinking, you know, everything's out of control, but God's got everything under control. When I can't see what God's doing, he's got everything. He's always on time. He knows just what we need. He gives us just enough. He only gives us enough grace for the, every day. And I'm always wanting a, a sample of tomorrow, Lord. I need just a little bit more today. But he gives us just enough. But what caught my heart, not just my eye, but the words in here when you start looking over here and it says, when it's over my head. You ever felt like anything's ever been over your head? And you're going down for the last time. But you know, I, I never thought about it. I've been taught this. But when it's over my head, it's already under his feet. The victory's already been won. And if you got something tonight that you feel like it's just overwhelming you, and you're going down, you just got to remember one thing. He's already got the victory over. Just claim the victory because he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he has victory over everything. So if you got something tonight that you just won't let go because you don't think God can handle it or you think it's not big enough for him to handle or it's just something you need to handle, but it's just eating away at you, bring it down here and give it to him. Tell him it's already his and you just want to con just confess Lord, you're Lord, and you've got control of this, and I'm going to let go and let God. But I want you to listen to these words. Listen to these words. If you missed it, trials and tribulations surely come my way. Desperate situations. You ever been desperate? Boy, I have. Cause my heart to say, Lord, I know in my own power there's nothing I can do, but impossible is possible with you. Second verse tells us this. It says, when you feel discouraged, I felt discouraged, and peace is hard to find. You ever look for peace? It seems like it's 100 miles away. You can be encouraged. The Lord is on your side. For the Father knows the answer. Think about that. Before we know to pray, and he's waiting even now to hear you say, is there anything too hard for you? There's nothing too hard for him tonight. Let's just, tonight, just worship him and thank him that all our trials and things we go through, he's got it all under control. Just trust him. I know it's easy to say, but he, the truth is there. Listen to this song here. We're going to do it again, and I hope you just get blessed by it. I am.
gonna, we're gonna ask Sister Reba McCormick to come. We're gonna get her to sing. She's changed her song. You gonna sing it by yourself? Good, y'all sure. <laughs> the reason I changed my song is the Lord changed my heart. Sometimes when you think that, when you know that things are too hard for you, they're not too hard for God. This is really hard for me tonight, people. I pray that this song will be a blessing to you, that he will give me his liberty and his courage, and for me to have my trust in him that he will do it. Lord, you don't have to move a mountain. Terry, can you play this for me, honey? Lord, you don't have to move a mountain Calm a raging sea Or perform some mighty wonder Just for me For about a year and a year and a half, and the Lord uh, 
has really been asking me to sing, and I, I know that I'm supposed to, but he's got to give me the strength, and it's really got to come from him because it's not within me anymore. And it's got to come from him to have the strength to eventually get up here and sing. But I pray that the Lord has touched you or blessed you with this music tonight. Because my heart felt it, although it didn't come out very strong in my throat and in my voice. I pray for me, and I, I thank you for allowing me to sing tonight. Let's all stand tonight as the choir comes down. Let's just praise the Lord. Get out, shake hands with everyone around. Make everyone feel welcome tonight. Page number 79. your songbook page number 79 let's do the course now let's just praise the Lord praise the Lord 
Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands toward heaven and praise the Lord. Let's do the second verse now. Just the precious name of Jesus is worthy of our praise. Let us bow our knees before him, our hands to heaven raise. When he comes in clouds of glory, with him we'll ever reign. Let's just lift our happy voices and Praise his dear name. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands toward heaven and praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift. And praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Bethlehem, Calvary, Olivetes. Oh, what a Savior. Savior is mine. 
What a Savior is mine. Lifting all our burdens, relieving all our fears. Oh, what a Savior is mine. He's a wonderful Savior, amen? Before I bring the message tonight, I want a couple of people to come to uh, share something with you. As many of you know and you hear about uh, faith, it's all about faith and everything, but we are in our second semester of faith. And I'd like for everyone that is in our faith, the second semester, to stand. We have seven leaders and 14 learners uh, in the uh, faith this semester. I want you all to stand and and uh, let's give them a good hand, because you don't know what all they're going through. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, faith, let me just, just, just say a word about faith, and then I want them to come. Faith is a, a ministry that we have here, and it consists of two semesters a year. And those who go through faith go through, they commit themselves for 16 weeks. And they're here at 6 o'clock every Thursday. They're in here for 45 minutes of training, and then they go out and they go out in teams. Uh, each team has a leader and two learners. And last semester, which was our first semester, we had uh, two leaders and four learners. And, of course, to be a leader, you have to go through faith in order to be a leader. And at that time, only myself and Brian had gone through a faith clinic. And so uh, we had four learners. And this semester, we got seven leaders, and we've got uh, 14 learners. And uh, next semester is really crank up, and uh, we'll have many. We'll need about 40 learners at our next semester. But it's a, just a tremendous opportunity to grow. It's a discipleship program, really. It's part of our Sunday school, part of what we do. But uh, to see folks go out. This is one of the thrilling things. I can still remember the first time I ever had an opportunity to take the Bible and show somebody how to get saved. And it was one of the most thrilling moments of my life to be able to to take the scriptures and to show somebody how to get saved. And one thing about faith is uh, you're learning how and they're learning how to do it and handle situations and different things like that. But what blesses me is to see somebody that went through faith last semester now training other people and going out and they're doing the same thing. And we've got a couple of learners that have something real that'll be a blessing to you. I want them to come. Tony and Wanda, would you come? Lorraine is their leader. Lorraine, last semester... 
was her was first semester. She was one of the first ones in faith. And Lorraine had the opportunity of winning her first soul of Jesus Christ in faith last semester. And now she's teaching others how to do it. And I want them to share with you a blessing they had this past week. Well, uh, I didn't really prepare anything. I just was praying just a short while ago that the Lord just filled me with his Holy Spirit. And that's what we did this past Thursday night. Uh, Lorraine Eli is our leader, and Wanda and I are her learners. And uh, we went out, uh, and we had visited two homes, had uh, called on uh, uh, one home and witnessed to uh, uh, Woody and, and to his brother, uh, and uh, had a good time visiting with them. Lorraine got some plants while she was there. <laughs> Uh, went to a second home, and the gentleman wasn't there, and so uh, Lorraine told me uh, I was driving. She told me the two next homes we had on our list, and uh, the closest one was 46th Street. So uh, I thought I knew where it was, and we had gone to 46th Street and went to the house, and it wasn't the same name that was on our card, but we went up and talked to the lady in any case. And something told me as we were leaving that I should leave by another direction than we had gone in. And when I did, we came to a stop sign, and I happened to look up to my left, and there was 46th Street again. We had just been at 46th Street Place. So even though we only had about 10 minutes before we were supposed to be back, we turned and went down the street and found the house of this uh, lady that was on our list. It was a really small house, and wasn't really well kept up, but we went to the door. Uh, the lady came to the door, or a man answered the door first, but she didn't want us to come in because he was drinking. And we stood outside and we uh, ministered to this lady and went through the steps that we've learned. Lorray went over the, the letters of faith or forgiveness, available, impossible, turn in heaven and while she was doing that I was just praying Lord to please touch this woman to fill her with your Holy Spirit and you could see you could see she was just she was feeling it she had just got through telling us that she had prayed that morning she'd had a really hard day on the job and she wanted someone to help her and she said that you must have come God must have sent you, and, and he did. <laughs> and there's no other word for it because there, I, I just don't know why I had to turn down that street. Well, we turned down that street, and she blessed us because she was saved. <laughs> well. It's good to know Jesus. good to be a part of this faith team and share in someone asking Jesus to come into their heart. The Lord's brought me a long way. I want to get closer to him and I want to see more people get saved. And I just wanted to share this with y'all. Uh, 
our daughter's going to have a baby next month, and they're not in church. And she's already told me that she wants to dedicate it to the Lord. She wants to dedicate the whole family. I'm so thankful for Calvary. I'm so thankful that one day Jesus came to me and showed me I was lost and I needed him. I'm thankful for faith. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Faith and the next semester, which will be in uh, the spring of next year, not spring, it'll actually start toward the end of January next year. And many of those that are learners will be leaders. And uh, faith, the way it operates in different things is that leaders will recruit their learners. And so many of you are going to be approached next semester, like say if all 20, if all 14 in faith this semester become a leader, that'll mean we'll have 21 learners or 21 leaders in the third semester of faith. And uh, there'll be the room for 42 learners. And uh, so many of you are going to be approached and say, we want you to be a part of faith. And I promise you, I promise you. You will. You don't want to turn it down. It's a commitment. You don't have any idea what a commitment it is. They have to learn every week, memorize every week. They're here at 6 o'clock for check-it time. They have to share their outlines they've remembered to the uh, leader. They have to go over their homework. Their books is checked and different things. And then at about 6.10, we began the session. And uh, they go through the session and, and fill in their books and different things. Anybody that's gone through it, they'll tell you they love it. And many of you want to go through it in the days to come. So I'm looking forward to it. But I praise the Lord. This was their first time. What thrilled me so much about it, Lorraine last semester had the privilege of leading her first soul to Christ. And then here she is this semester. And her learners, that was the first time they've had the privilege of leading someone to Christ. And that's something to rejoice about. Amen? I told them when they came back in, just think. You had a part in somebody going to heaven one day, and they won't have to go to hell because of you and what the Lord's done. Let me just make mention one more thing, and then we'll get right into the message. We're going to uh, conclude the book of 1 Corinthians tonight. But the Bible conference is just a few weeks away. The third Sunday of September, that's homecoming day. Always a special day here. We're going to be dedicating uh, the new addition to the building. We'll have many guests in for that. On that day, it also begins the Bible conference and different things. But as you know, if you've been around here, if you're new, then it's all new to you. But for you that have been here, this is a big time every year in the church. And we have guests that come in from all over the country. We had pastors from 11 states that were here last year. And it looks like we're going to have as many uh, this year as we had last year. And so a lot of work goes on. We do a lot of things for the guests that come in. For one thing, we provide lodging for the guests and uh, we put all of these preachers up and their families and, and, and different things, pay for their rooms. And then we provide breakfast for them. We provide lunch for them. And then we pr provide a meal for them after the service at night. And uh, not only does it cost a lot of money, but it also takes a lot of people. Now, you'll notice there was a note in your bulletin there about signing up for different things. There's some sign-up sheets in the back. 
And uh, so we need a lot of folks again, like last year, to help us uh, to fix different things. And uh, Sherry, you won't just get up and say something, just give a word about what we need right now and, and the plans are and how we're going. Amen. Uh, we need, many of you, uh, I know have helped every year, many of you are planning on doing this, but if you're new, uh, you want to do something that'll be a blessing. The Bible conference serves two things for us here. We get a blessing out of it, and we get to be a blessing, and you can't, can't beat that combination. But uh, we need, uh, like say, uh, breakfast thing, items bring in, like the cakes, we can bring them in and, and, and put them in the freezer until the Bible conference, she said about 300 pieces a day. I know a couple of preachers coming in, this is their first year, that will jump to 500 pieces a day. I, I know how these guys eat. And, uh, but uh, uh, the crews uh, to take care of the breakfast, uh, crews to work for lunch, and crews to work at night. And uh, we've, I, if you want to, ladies, sign up, men, any one of you, there's a lot, a lot of work that goes on to take care of this many guests and to feed them and different things. But it is a blessing. It's a ministry. We do it as a ministry. We don't just spend thousands of dollars every year just to do this. We do it because, one, I believe that the men of God should be honored. I believe that. That's a conviction of mine. I believe that God's men ought to be treated right, they ought to be respected right, and they ought to be honored. And I have the privilege of going from week to week and been in many different places and and, uh, different things. And I know a lot of pastors out there, they have their burdens, they have their problems, and uh, I've been blessed here. I, you're good to me. You make me feel like I'm loved. Whether you love me, you make me feel like it anyway. But I am convinced to go around pastors around here. A lot of pastors, they don't know. I mean, you know, they're just, uh, they're unhappy and different things, situations and burdens. And a number of years ago, the Lord burdened my heart about making a way where we could bring them in, just get them away for a week, uh, just let them provide their rooms, their meals, because if they had to provide their own motel and buy their meals and things, they couldn't afford to come. And so the Lord burned my heart to do this, and we started a number of years ago. And in my opinion, I will go to my grave believing this, that one of the turning points in this place financially was when we started doing this. I believe God has honored that, and that's the reason why He has prospered us down through the years. And you might say that what we're having, the addition that's being done now, is being done because years ago we started doing this for others. But coming in and just providing for them to be able to come in, and a lot of them, listen, many churches, we're blessed here, and I don't think we realize how blessed we are. I think we're spoiled rotten. Can I get an amen right there? And we, we, you just need to go out with me. What I'll do is just kind of plan my schedule, buy a bus. If you'll buy the bus, then we'll do this. You buy the bus... That's a Silver Eagle now. We'll buy a Silver Eagle bus. I'll take five of you with me a week and uh, let you, you come back, you'll come in the doors grabbing each other and hugging them and grabbing even the bushes around here and kissing them. You'll be so happy to get back here. But they come in, it's a blessing to them. And they come in, they see things going on. They want to know how things are going on. They learn about things, go back to some of the churches and do the same things and different things. So it's, it's a blessing. And uh, so I, all that, if you can help us in this matter, See Sherry, sign up the sheets back there. They have different foods and things you can fix, and uh, it'll be a real blessing to you. But we are just weeks away. We'll be three weeks from next Sunday, four weeks from the day is the Bible conference. We're three weeks. It starts the 17th of September. I'd have to get a calendar of mine to get these pictures that, uh, weeks out, but we are right up on it. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. 
1 Corinthians 16, and we'll only begin reading in verse 5. We'll be giving to you here in the very near future names of those that are coming in the Bible conference every year. We pray specifically for every individual's. But I hope that every day of your life you're praying, God bless the conference. God bless the conference and bless it in a special way. Well, for 52 weeks, 52 Sunday nights, we have been in the book of 1 Corinthians. And tonight we're going to look at the final verses of this book. And there's always, for me, the ending of a book, there's a certain excitement about finally getting through. But there's always been for me a somewhat of a sadness because when you live in a book, for a year, you kind of just get in that book and you live in that book and you kind of uh, are saddened when you move out of the thing. But we have spent this actually my 52nd message from the book of 1 Corinthians. And this has been a fascinating book. I, I, listen, I hope that you have learned something as we've made our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. I hope that you have learned some things, had many of your questions answered about different things because it's one of those books that gets it from one end to the other and it covers so many things. We'll start in the book of Joshua a week from Sunday night. And uh, we're going to, well, like I say, we do a New Testament book and an Old Testament. But the book of Joshua is a book of victory. I'm interested in victory, aren't you? But this has been a great study. Look at verse 5. And I want us to think tonight simply, sincerely, Paul. He's written a letter, and now he comes to the end, and he just simply signs it, Paul. Verse 5, the Bible said, Now I will come unto you, when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus unto Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries." Now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, Quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanas, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's a great statement. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad all I am glad of the coming of Stephanas. And Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit in yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And all the brethren greet you. Greet you one another with a holy kiss. The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Simply, sincerely, 
Paul. He concludes his letter. Let's pray, and I'll be brief tonight and just share with you a few things as we look at these final verses. Our Father, tonight in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for this lengthy journey that we've had through the book of 1 Corinthians. Lord, you have said so much to us. You've dealt with division. Lord, you spoke to us about many things, about our attitude, about you. We've learned things about the Lord's Supper. We've settled things in our hearts about spiritual gifts. So many things, Lord. You've made us see sin as it really is. You've made us look at the fields and our service for you as we ought to look at it. Lord, there's been so many things about this journey that has been beneficial and it's been profitable. I thank you, Lord, for the time we have spent. We thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. And I know, Lord, that this is a book written that has a human author to it or a human writer. But we know that you are the author of the Word of God. And you simply chose Paul, and through him you communicated these truths, and I thank you for it. Father, may we always be a people that are hungry to know your Word and to love your Word and want to learn what you say about matters. So thank you. Now, in these closing words, may we glean a few things tonight that will help us, and we'll thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and the verses that I read are the closing words of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. We often talk about letter. That's what it was in those days. They would send a letter, but a letter divinely controlled by the Spirit of God, a letter that was the words of the Spirit of God, God speaking through them and giving us the Word of God. But in these parting words, and as we have gone through Corinthians, as I said, there has been much that Paul has commended, and there has been much that Paul has condemned. There have been times we have seen Paul rejoicing, but there have been times we have heard him rebuking. There have been times that he's been like a father. At other times, he's been like a pastor. At other times, he's been a very, very firm teacher of truth. He has dealt with doctrinal matters. He's dealt with moral matters. He's dealt with personal matters. He's dealt with practical matters. It's been a wonderful journey. But now he concludes it all. He comes to the last part of his letter. And as you look at the last part of his letter... I think there's some things we can glean tonight that I think would be good for all of us. It's like just kind of getting those final little things out as he ends. But I want you to look at these words, and I want you to consider with me three things from all that he has to say in the final verses. I'll just point them out to you tonight in closing. But I want you to notice, first of all, the plans that he announces. The plans he announces. Notice beginning in verse 5. Paul begins to share with us his plans. Now, he's wrote this letter. Now he's ending the letter, and he just wants them to know what his plans are for the days ahead. Beginning in verse 5, he begins to tell us about the plans for his future. Now there's a couple of things about his plans that I want to point out. A couple of things about Paul's plans that I want to point out that ought to be true about all of our plans. No matter who you are tonight, whether you're writing a letter or whatever you're planning, there's a couple of factors about your plans that ought to be true that we find in Paul's life. The first thing that I want you to see about his plans is this. They're plans that involve the will of God. They're plans that involve the will of God. Verse 5, he says to them, Now I will come unto you. And he said, When I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. He's, what he's saying in verse 5 is, and he's beginning to let them know what his plans are. He said, I'm planning on coming back 
to see you again. He said, I'm passing through Macedonia, and my plans are after I pass through Macedonia and after my time in Macedonia is over, then my plans are to come back and to be with you. He said in verse 6, And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. He says to them in verse 6 there, he said, my plans are, verse 5 is to, when I get through in Macedonia and pass through Macedonia, then I'm going to come down to Corinth. And he said, probably I'll abide with you. I want to spend some time with you. In fact, what I'll probably do is just spend the winter with you. But he said in verse 7 there, for I will not see you now, but the way. And that's another way he said, I'm not just going to pass through. He said, I'm not going to come down now because really I wouldn't have time to spend with you. I'd only have to pass through. And he said, I want to do more than just come through and spend a couple of days. I want to be able to spend some time with you. But he said, I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. Then he said in verse 8, but right now I'm at Ephesus. I'll be here until the Feast of Pentecost. After the Feast of Pentecost, and I'm going through Macedonia, and I'll work my way down to be with you. Now, this is what he's simply doing is letting them know these are my plans, these are my goals, these are what, this is what I will be doing in the days and in the months to come. But you'll notice a statement there in verse 7 that really is the key to what he says about all of his plans. For he says in the latter part of verse 7, if the Lord permit. Paul is saying that these are my plans if they be God's plans. The word permit there simply means to allow or to approve. And Paul was saying that I plan on coming down when I get through Macedonia. I'm going to be here at Ephesus till after the Feast of Pentecost. I'll pass through Macedonia, and then I'll come down and spend the winter with you. I want to be able to buy with you and to spend some time with you. But everything Paul was planning was subject to the will of God in his life. You see, that which was paramount in Paul's life was the will of God. And he says, this is what I'll do if it be the will of God. James had the same thing in mind in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. He said, go to now you that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. He said, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. That's what Paul is saying, if it's the Lord's will. You see what is paramount in all Paul's plans is the will of God. Now I want you to listen to me tonight. When it comes to our plans and what we plan on doing and what we plan on being or whatever like that, I want to say that all of our plans ought to be subject to the will of God. For first of all, God, our tomorrows are in the hands of God. Do you believe that? Our tomorrows are in the hands of God. Listen, if it's not God's will for us to be here tomorrow, we'll not be here tomorrow. And like James said, you can't go out and boast, I'm going to go to town, do this, buy, sell, and get gain, whatever there. James said, your life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. What James is saying, you don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow or the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year. It ought, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, I'll do this. And I want you to understand, your tomorrows are in the hand of God. And because your tomorrows are in the hand of God, then your present ought to be submissive to the will of God. And all of your plans, and whatever you're planning on doing, whatever you want to do, it ought to be subject to the will of God. All plans ought to involve the will of God. The second thing I see about his plans, not only did his plans involve the will of God, but his plans included the work of God. 
If you notice down in verse 9, he's talking about all that he's wanting to do. But in verse 9, he says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Paul, when he talks about everything that he wants to do, got his plans, if it be the Lord's will, if the Lord permits, he's going to come down and visit them at Corinth and winter with them there, spend a few months with them. If that's what God allows him to do, that's what he wants to do. But again, it's subject to the will of God. But in all of the Paul's plans, in all of his travelings, everything that he's thinking about doing, there's one thing included in his plans, and that's the work of God. He says in verse 9, I have a great opportunity. An open door, the idea of the word there used that is open unto me, that it has been opened by someone and is remaining open. It's like God has opened a door for him and giving him a great door, a door that will have an effective ministry in it, a factual door, he said. And he said, it's open unto me. He's thinking about the will of God. And he's saying everything is subject to the will of God. But as he thinks about his plans, one thing that's on his mind is what he can do for God. You know, I find it interesting that many people make their plans, but they don't include the work of God in it. And many people do not submit their plans to the will of God. Lord, is this what you want for my life? What we say is, Lord, this is what I'm going to do, and this is my plans, this is where I'm going, this is what I'm going to do, and we rarely ever say, if it be the Lord's will. And a lot of times when we talk about our plans and what we're going to do, we rarely think about God and rarely think about the work of God. Now, listen to me. I don't know what your plans are for the future, but one thing you ought to have in your plans is you're going to live for God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, it rained this morning. It's not raining tonight, so don't be dead on me tonight. I don't care what your plans are. You ought to keep in your plans that you're going to work for God, no matter what your age is. When you get married plan on getting married, whatever, and you come to that, you ought to have included in your plans is that when we get married, we're going to live for God, we're going to serve God. And when you have your children, we're going to bring that child up in the things of God, we're going to work for God. Even when you reach retirement age, you say, I've worked all these years, and it's now time for me to retire. And I say, congratulations, and I'll be 65 in 41 years, and when I get there, I'm going to retire too, Amen. But I, you, I say, praise God for it. But even when you get to retirement, you ought to say that one thing included in my retirement is I'm going to work for God. You see, there was the work of God included in his plans. So he spoke of the opportunity to serve God. But there's something he says about service there. Verse 9, he said, there are many adversaries. Paul said, I've got a great opportunity. He said, I'm going, he said, these are my plans at the Lord's will, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to serve God. This is the opportunity that I have. But he just throws in that thing, but buddy, the devil's fighting me every step of the way. And I want you to understand something. When you begin to serve God, the devil will fight. And the devil will fight anybody that wants to live for God. And the very moment you commit your life to God, and the very moment you dedicate your life to God, you can expect adversaries. I would say to every one of these in faith, and these and going through. And we went through last semester, and everyone that went through it knew if anything could happen, it did happen. Because the devil doesn't want you learning how to tell about Christ. And he doesn't want you sharing your faith. And he doesn't want you reaching out ministering to others. There are adversaries of the work of God. But it doesn't matter. You go on and serve God anyway. You put God's work in your plans. So you look at your life. Is it submissive and subject to the will of God? 
And in your plans are their plans to work for God. If you decide this is what I'm going to do somewhere, what are you going to do for God? When are you going to work for God? Are you going to be involved in, in church work, in Sunday school, faith, whatever it is? Do you have plans to serve God? That was the plans that he announced. But look at the second thing I want you to see. Not only do we see in his closing words, words about his plans, but you also have words about people. And there is the people that he appreciated, or he appreciates. Beginning in verse 10, like many of the books Paul wrote, and in the latter, the last few verses, there's many, many names given. And beginning in verse 10, Paul mentions several people. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at all of them tonight, but I'll just kind of take everything he says about them and sum it up in a couple of thoughts. But he mentions several people. In verse 10, he talks about Timotheus. In verse 12, he mentions Apollos. Verse 15, he, he speaks about Stephanopoulos or uh, Stephanus there. Not Stephanopoulos, praise God, he's not in there, amen. But Stephanus, amen. Forgive me, Lord, that slipped out there, amen. And he goes on, he mentions several, several of them there. But he, he, show, he, he mentions all these people, and as he does so, he's expressing his appreciation for them. He is showing his appreciation for them and saying something about them. I look at all of these, and let me just break them down in two thoughts. And again, I won't look at every little thing he said about them, but I just want to break down two thoughts about everything he says about them. One, I think about the variety of people he mentions. The variety of people he mentions. He mentions several people, but there's all kinds of different people that are used here and mentioned here. Every one of them are from a different background, different places, uh, different kinds of people. For example, Timothy was a young preacher. That's why he talks about uh, Timothy when he comes to, that he may be, without, may be with you without fear. And he talks about in Timothy himself, let no man despise thy youth. Here is Timothy coming down to this maybe fairly large-sized church in that day, and Paul was saying to him, he's a young preacher, he's just getting started, and he has some apprehension, he has some uh, stomach problems, has some health problems, whatever, but he's still a little bit intimidated by things. He's still a little bit apprehensive about things. But he's talking about a young preacher, a young convert, you might say. Talks about Apollos. This was the great Bible scholar. This is a man that had been taught and trained right, and he was one of the great leaders in the church at Corinth and other places in those days because of his knowledge. He met Apollos in the first part of the book there, and some of them, they said, we like Peter. Some of them said, we like Paul. And some said, we like Apollos and whatever. And Apollos was one of those great Bible teachers. And, and he would be the doctor of that day and whatever. But a man that was so uh, grounded in the Word of God, a Bible scholar. And then Stephanus there, uh, he was one of the early converts in Achaia, which would be Greece as we would know it today. And Paul said he was one of the first people that got saved under my ministry there. And so he's talking about a mature saint of God. You got a young preacher here. You got a Bible scholar. You got a mature saint. And then he talks about fortunates there and Achaicus. And he talks about, mentions them, how they're just members of the church at Corinth there. And no real special position, no real special honor that's attached to them. But they're members there and they have helped him in so many ways. And then he talks about Aquila and Priscilla. This is a husband and wife team. This is a husband and wife team that uh, opened their home and, and had, were holding church in their home. In fact, in those days, that's where churches were. 
They didn't have buildings such as we have. You didn't put an address 3200 Rossville Boulevard or 3204 Cleo Avenue or something like that as we would put on this one. No, people met in houses or anywhere they could meet. But here was Aquila and Priscilla. Here was a husband and wife team. You see, what you have is different kind of people from different walks of life. Some are young, some are mature. Here's a husband and wife. Some of them are just people that know, we don't know very little about except their name is just mentioned here. But you have people from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of people that he mentions. Now, when I read all that, it reminds me that God uses different people. Aren't you glad for that? That God uses all kinds of people. You're sitting here tonight, and you may think, well, I couldn't be used of God. I want you to understand something tonight. You can be used of God. God uses all kinds of people, and He uses us in different ways. For example, you not only see the variety of people that He mentions, but the value of the people that He mentions. You take Timothy there. He said in verse 10 and 11, Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Now let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. Now Paul looked at Timothy. Is a great assistant in his life. Paul looked at Timothy as somebody that was really not only his understudy, not only his pupil, not only somebody that he was mentoring, but he looked at Timothy as somebody that had been a great assistant in his life. And the value of Timothy in Paul's life cannot be underestimated. Verse 12, he talks about Apollos. And this was somebody that had been so grounded in the Word of God and taught properly and, and was communicating that to others. And Paul, he looks at him as somebody that has really been the one. He come in preaching the gospel and getting them saved and helping them get organized. And then thank God for somebody like Apollos that could come along and just ground them and keep on grounding them. And then he talks about Stephanos there, how that he had addicted himself and others to the work of God. And he talks about how that they just so bound themselves to the work of God and given to the work of God. And then he talks about uh, Fort, uh, Fortunatus there and uh, Caicus there. And these are just, we don't know anything about them except they were members. But he said, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. He's saying they have refreshed my spirit. Church, church members. You can put it this way. You're simple church members. But Paul said, look, Timothy's been like a devoted assistant to me. Apollos has been, man, he's the one I like to be on the platform with in a Bible conference. And, oh, he feeds my soul every time I hear him. And we got over here, he got uh, Stephanos here. He's such a mature saint of God, one of the first converts I ever had. And here he is, a mature believer, been in the work of God. And if he said, here's these other guys. He said, these two fellows down here at the church of Corinth. Man, there was a lot of things you couldn't do for me, but these guys just jumped in there and met needs in my life and ministered in my life. And he said, they were so refreshing to my heart. And then Aquila and Priscilla, he said, I salute them down over in Asia. He said, he said, praise God, they've got a church over there and God's blessing their church. They've opened their home up. They're having church right there in their home. What a blessing they are involving and the spiritual people and, and on and on. He, just, he talks about these people and every one of them had some kind of value in his life. Now, you listen to me tonight. They're all of us, every one of us in this room tonight are different. And there's some of you that can do things that others can't do, and vice versa. You can do things that the others can't do. Obviously, not everybody in this building can sing. I've been in some places where some people sung that thought they could sing, but I honestly, poor God, I, I wondered, I wondered. It's to say, man, 
Satan has a way of blinding people. Can I get an amen right there? Yeah. Well, not everybody can sing. Not everybody can teach Sunday school class. Not everybody can be a leader in certain roles and whatever there. But I want you to understand something. This matter being used for God doesn't mean you're in a limelight position, if I could put it that way. Everybody can be used of God. Everybody can be used of God in some way because every one of you has your own ability and you have your own gifts whereby you touch the lives of others. Now, there are people here in this church that you see all the time. And there are people here in any church that would be the same thing. There will be certain people that you will hear their name mentioned just about all the time. You'll hear about them. You'll know them. You'll see them. They're out front because of the positions they hold and the things they do. They're out there ministering to us. But I'm going to tell you, there are people behind the scenes that do things that touch the lives of other people that, that we never even see and many of you never even know about. People that maybe they're confined to home and they can't get out and visit, but they lift us up to God every day of their lives. And they take us to God and lift us up before God in the throne room. I want to tell you something, friend. There's nothing any more important than somebody lifting us up to God and taking us to God. And then others out there mailing cards out, making phone calls, doing different things. And uh, whatever, you learn, f folks, all the time, doing this. And they never are out in the limelight. They're never getting attention. They're never recognized. But yet they are taking their lives, and their life is blessing someone else. That's the value of everybody in the family of God. You are important to the work of God. God can use you. He may not use you the way that he uses me. He may not use me the way that he wants to use you. But every person in this room tonight can be used of God, and your life can count for God. You ought to ask yourself tonight, what am I doing that is being a blessing to others? But let me give you a third and final thing. There's thirdly, I see not only the plans he announces and the people he appreciates. And may I just say another word? When it comes to the God uses to touch our life, there are many, and how we ought to thank God for them. And how we ought to thank God for somebody that has touched our life. And then you know what I'm talking about. There's some people that God has used in your life that you think about just, every, just about every day of your life. And there's certain people that God has used in your life that almost every day their name will cross your mind in some way. I think about Brother Tom that does, it preaches in our Bible conference. I, dare, I, I doubt there's a day in my life that my mind is the name Tom Hayes and come to my mind in some way or another. And I'll tell you something else, somebody God used in my life that I think about just about every day of my life, and that's Dr. Ivor Powell. And there's hardly a day in my life that I don't think about him. And there's not a, hardly a day in my life that some way his memory is not brought to me, whether through my studies and all the books that he wrote or something or something that he said and whatever. Those people God used to touch our life. And I think about Dr. Powell and and how it'd been a blessing. I, I, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but Dr. Powell, God had used him all over the world. And someone recently told me this, that it blessed my heart, because you know Dr. Powell went home to be with the Lord about a year ago. But he served, he was from Wales, served in South Africa, and the last few years of his life had served, lived in Santa Barbara, California, and died in his sleep one night, about 89 years old. But what a blessing. You remember when he was here. He just... It was just special. What a blessing, whatever that. But one day I got to think about Dr. Powell, and I wrote him a note. And I just really just told him what he had meant to me and how much he had meant to my life and, and different things like that. Someone the other day that had saw him shortly before he died, they said to him, said, uh, they, 
meant, Dr. Powell mentioned, you wrote him. And I said, I did. I just wanted to thank him. He said, Dr. Powell said to me, and he said, he mentioned it. And this is what he said about your letter. He said, the most encouraging word ever got in my life was a letter I received from Brother Trevor. And that blessed me because he, he, he means so much to my heart. And I think about him so much. I think he loved Sherry more than he did me. I'd call and say, Dr. Powell, how are you doing? Lovely. How's your lovely wife doing? That's what he'd always ask me. I said, you won't talk to her? You call her. Amen. I'm calling to talk to you. Amen. But I think about the people God puts in our lives. We ought to appreciate them. Amen. Just like Paul did. But look at the third and the final thing. Not only do you see the plans and the people that he appreciates, but the principle that he admonishes and there's several, but I'm just going to point out two of them. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 13, he talks about our loyalty to the Lord. Our loyalty to the Lord. He said, watch ye, be alert, stand fast in the faith. That is, be grounded in the faith. And he says to him, verse 13, quit ye like men. That word quit is another word, just like act. Act like men. Be strong. He's talking about his being loyal to the Lord being grounded in the faith, and not being wishy-washy, but act like someone that is mature. Act like someone that is grown in grace. Be watchful. Be alert. There's a lot of false doctrine and things out there. The adversaries are many, as he's just said. But he said, I want you to be grounded in the Lord. I want you to be loyal to the Lord. He's saying to the church of Corinth as he closes out, I just want to remind you, stand for Jesus. Don't back down. He talks about being loyal to the Lord. But look in verse 14. He talks about our love for the Lord. He said, that all your things be done with charity. Or let me put it this way. This is what he's saying. He said, let everything you do be motivated by love. Let everything you do be motivated by love. And what love is he talking about? He's talking about love for Christ that overflows in our love for men. He talks about principles and said, these are truths and I want to just remind you of. He said, I've emphasized and said things about these, said something about these things all through the letter here. But in closing, let me just remind you, you be like men. Stand for God. Don't back down. Don't let this devil knock you down. Stand for God and everything you do, do it because you love God. Do it because you love Christ. In fact, you notice in verse 22, he makes an interesting statement. He said, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Now, you see that word anathema there? It is a word that literally means to be set aside for destruction. In those days, as a Christian, they developed their own vocabulary, like we have our own vocabulary. Have you noticed that? If you go to church, and uh, when you're in church there, we have our religious terms and our religious phrases and our uh, vocabulary that maybe the world don't understand anything about. For example, we talk about being washed in the blood. Now, we all know what we mean by that. But you know the world don't know anything about the washed in the blood. What do you mean? What do you mean? Did somebody pour blood on you? Did they take a sponge of blood and wipe you with wash in the blood? Those are vocabularies that we uh, have and words that we have come from the Scripture and different things like that. But in those days, the early church began to develop their own vocabulary, and one of the ways that they greeted everybody, it talks about greeting them with a holy kiss there, but one of the ways they greeted them was by saying a couple of things. He is risen. Jesus is Lord. Or Jesus is coming back. When saints of God met each other, they may shake their hand, they'd reach over and place a holy kiss on each other's cheek, and one may say, he's alive. 
Or another may say, Jesus is Lord. Or another may say, He's coming back. Or to put it this way, this is what they would say, Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming back. But he says to about this matter of loving, he said, let everything you do be motivated by love. And he says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be set aside for destruction at the return of Jesus Christ. Anathema Maranatha. Now, what is it meaning? That if I don't love God, that when Jesus comes, I will be destroyed? No, the ideal is that one of the benchmarks of a child of God is they love Jesus. And one of the birthmarks of a believer is that they love, and one of the identifying marks of a child of God is, I love Christ. And he says those who do not love Christ are those that are really set aside, those are the ones that are set for destruction when Jesus comes again. In other words, one of the things that all identify you as being a Christian is you love Jesus. And a good eye, if you, if you don't love him, never have loved him, it's a good indication you're not ready for the coming of the Lord. But he's talking about loving Christ. He says to them, look, I want you to stand for Christ, and I want you to serve him, and I want you to love him with all of your heart. He says to the Corinthians, I love you. I love you sincerely, Paul. Let's stand our feet, please. What a great, great book. I hope you have learned some things and grown in that, especially chapter 12, 13, and 14. What a great thing. But I want you, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, let me talk to you about your plans. Are they subject to the will of God? And does your plans include working for God? Somewhere you ought to look at it and say, well, my life, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But I don't have, there's no, nowhere in here I'm doing anything for the Lord. Then you ought to correct that. And realize there's a great opportunity for you. Open doors for you. And then let me encourage you to do something. Think about people that God has used in your life. And when I want you to do something, I want you to thank God for them. Just, just spend some time stopping and thinking, and thinking about so-and-so person led you to the Lord or brought you to Jesus or helped you in this way. And just think, dear God, I, I appreciate them. Thank you so much for them. But realize that you can be used of God and God wants to do something with you that your life can be valuable. You touch lives, just like these people touch Paul's life in different ways. They were not all the same, doing the same thing from different walks of life. But each one of them, they touch Paul's life in some way. And you touch people's lives, and that's what you want. And let me driven in all that you do that I'm going to serve God, I'm going to stand for God, I'm going to love Jesus Christ. You do that? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe you're in the room tonight, you're not saved. Then the most important thing for you to do is to be saved. And we sing in a moment. Maybe you want to get up out of your seat and come. Let us show you from the Word of God how to be saved. But if there's some area tonight that God spoke to your heart about, I just want you to get up out of your seat, come find a place here, talk to God, and you go back to your seat. And then we'll be going home in just a moment. Whatever we can do, if we can pray with you about certain matters. This has been a day in which God's ministered to hearts. And... Uh, I appreciate the music tonight and uh, appreciate Terry's mom getting up and singing. Remember a few weeks ago, went to the hospital, she couldn't even talk, and here she was singing tonight. What a blessing that was. And uh, all this, this whole day, this whole day has been uh, just a day in which God has just ministered and ministered in hearts, and I appreciate it.
And maybe he wants to continue doing something in your heart tonight. Father, bless the word to our hearts. Let us grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing one couple stanzas. You come as we sing. Come.